Good morning. Uh, welcome to the first Breakfast with the Chiefs for our 2020-21 season. Uh, we have a lot of great speakers lined up for this season. I am Matthew Hart, CEO for Longwoods Publishing. Um, I say this every time, but I think it's important. Uh, we are always joined by new people. Uh, I am a strong believer in building my network, so please feel free to reach out to me at any time. My email address is simply mhart at longwoods.com, or you can easily find me on LinkedIn. Uh, we're just about ready to get started, but before we do, I'd like to take this opportunity to thank all of our corporate members. Uh, they support these events every year, and I truly want to thank them. Without their support, Longwoods would not be able to produce these events. Um, we have too many to mention all this morning, so please do have a look at them on our website. Uh, this morning's breakfast promises to be a great one. We have well over 500 people online this morning. We have a little time at the end for Helen and Matt to answer some questions. Uh, before we get started, a few little housekeeping notes. Uh, I wanted to, if you want to ask a question, you'll see at the bottom of your screen uh, a little Q&A tab. Please type in your question there. Matt and Helen will do the best they can to address these, but I can't promise they'll get to all of them. We're limited on time. Uh, so I would like to, and uh, I'd like to remind myself that you're not here to hear, you're not here to hear from me. Uh, I would like to hand the show over to uh, two of my favorite people, Helen Angus and Matt Anderson. Thank you very much. I'm going to start off. It's Helen. Um, I'm just delighted to be here this morning, and uh, thank you, uh, Matthew, for uh, for hosting. Uh, I think last time. Uh, Matt and I were actually at breakfast with the Chiefs. So we were in a large room at U of T um, overlooking uh, St. George Street. And uh, so uh, this is a different format, but one that we've actually gotten used to in the last uh, couple of months. So thank you to Longwoods for, for making this uh, connection uh, virtually. Um, I will uh, look through the list of participants um, and it will make me smile to know how many friends uh, we both have in the room. Um, it'll be great to hear from you. Uh, we've uh, had you know, lots of uh, opportunities through our collaboration tables and others to, to hear, but uh, uh, haven't had an opportunity to, to talk to as many people as, as we are going to today. And so hoping that we do indeed have time for questions at the end. And uh, maybe with that, um, I will turn it over to Matt to, to lead us off on uh, what we're gonna try and cover today. Um, I think uh, COVID might be uh, close to the top of the list. So Matt. Great, thanks, Helen. <laughs> uh, thanks, uh, Matt, for, for uh, giving us this opportunity. It's fantastic. It's always, along uh, with it's a core part of our healthcare system. So, thank you so much for doing this, and thank you everybody for joining. I know uh, 2020 has been the year of being busy, uh, so taking uh, some time to hear from Helen and I uh, is a real honor. So, thank you very much for joining us today. Um, just a little bit, not everybody would know me. Um, so, Matt Anderson, I'm the I don't think I can say new CEO of uh, Ontario Health anymore. Um, I've been here chronologically eight months in COVID time, that's seven years. Um, so uh, it's been quite an experience. Before here, uh, before joining Ontario Health, I was uh, the CEO at Lakeridge Health. I think more importantly, I was uh, also the CEO of the lead agency for the Durham OHT. Um, and as we talk through um, the things we're going to be doing this morning, we're going to be talking about COVID, of course. Uh, we're also talking about trans the transformation agenda um, that uh, Helen and colleagues have put together for the province. Uh, and I think what you're going to hear, and I believe what many of you have experienced, is that these two things are actually one and the same. Um, and we're going forward. See, we're having some trouble with math to chat. So I'll try to sit more forward. How about that? And 
I'm just a soft-spoken guy, I suppose. Um, yeah, yeah, thank you, Helen. Uh, so uh, just a couple of things in terms of what we're going to do, uh, or do, uh, we'll probably try to do in under 30 minutes, probably in about 20 minutes, uh, talk a little bit about uh, what we've learned so far, um, uh, a bit of reflection on uh, early COVID uh, and the response back uh, last spring, uh, what we have learned, and most importantly, sort of where to from here, um, both in terms of the transformation agenda and our ongoing response, your ongoing response, and this province's ongoing response uh, to uh, COVID. Um, just a, a quick note, obviously, we're going to be telling the story from the Matt and Helen um, perspective. Uh, there's many people who have contributed to this. Uh, we are two-thirds of the command table uh, chairing, um, uh, Dr. David Williams being the third. Uh, Dave has been a tremendous colleague uh, in all the work that's gone on through public health. Uh, so lots of people put a lot into this. Uh, this is just uh, Helen and Matt trying to, to give you some perspective as we get started. Uh, with that, I'm going to hand it over to Helen to, to lead us off on some reflections from wave one. We, uh, you know, we, we called this talk the best laid plans because it gave us a chance to, to reflect a little bit on uh, the experience that we've had over the last uh, last many months. And uh, thinking back to last winter, um, I still have on my uh, 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 easel in my office um, the last hallway healthcare numbers um, that we had uh, printed out on a daily basis. And you know, I think about what we were doing. We were, I was working with Ruben uh, and on hallway healthcare and the Premier's Council, Ontario Health Teams. Uh, we were in the throes of you know sort of fine tuning our digital health strategy. Of course, we were working um, hard on mental health, and uh, so. Um, all things that I think actually have ended up uh, uh, holding us in good stead, but uh, uh, perhaps the difference between then and now is uh, we actually got a good night's sleep and a weekend off. Um, it's been a, a pretty, pretty busy time. And then, uh, you know, the world kind of turned on its head. Uh, and uh, uh, Matt had the, the great misfortune, perhaps, of, of uh, starting on February 3rd. Um, and that was almost, well, it was exactly a week after we had our first case um, of COVID, first individual with COVID, um, the, that was the 25th of January, uh, when we got a call from, uh, from Andy Smith at Sunnybrook telling us uh, that uh, COVID had landed on the shores of, of Canada. And so, you know, the good news is that uh, we have people here who had experience. Um, I. Uh, personally was in the ministry uh, working with Dr. Bell when we had, uh, you know, potential for Ebola and H1N1 and, and other things. So, uh, you know, we started up the emergency operations center. Um, uh, I do track the amount of time that we spent on this. So uh, I see that we're on uh, situation report 234. Um, so, you know, the, the apparatus of the Ministry of Health and Long-Term Care kind of, or Ministry of Health kind of started to ramp up, um, obviously, you know, well before the declaration of an emergency on, on March 17th. And, uh, and by the end of February, we had the first uh, health command table in its most formal sense. Um, uh, and we were well on the way to coordinating this health system response. Um, I do recall that in, in February, uh, a lot of our focus was actually on the repatriation of Canadians um, who found themselves overseas or on a cruise ship uh, in through through Trenton. And of course, Matt was there, you know, kind of every step of the way. And uh, I think, you know, we 
we, I think we had one meeting uh, when we kind of thought about, you know, the, the, the whole potential of, of Ontario health and clearly, you know, we had all the, the legislation and the, um, you know, accountability um, mechanisms in place and uh, mandates and everything else that we had, had worked through uh, with the board. But, you know, we were trying to figure out how we were going to, you know, relate to each other in this new world. Very excited about the possibilities of, of having a strong agency. And then kind of boom. Um, and so we had to work together immediately and intensely on a whole variety of challenges that neither of us, at least certainly for my part, had ever faced uh, before. So, uh, you know, it worked well from the beginning. And I think, uh, you know, grateful uh, that uh, we actually had, you know, such capable leadership at Ontario Health. And uh, it certainly kind of went from uh, kind of dating marriage pretty fast in terms of being working together uh, on the COVID response. So maybe, Matt, I'll, I'll, you may have a different view of this <laughs> than mine, but uh, perhaps I'll give you a chance to, for your reflections. Yeah, thanks, Helen. I think I, I think I would just add a couple of things, and it did. Uh, uh, it was uh, uh, quite something for me coming in, for sure. Um, I think probably the reflections that I would add is how quickly um, and uh, really wonderfully the field responded to what was happening, um, and so not only for Helen as we uh, got our uh, subtables up and going, and experts from science and clinical and all kinds of stakeholders from across the system and and uh, and elsewise and and certainly in the broader uh, ministry sense and government sense, but also uh, in the field, uh, you know, a huge shout out to uh, Dr. Andrew Baker and the team who got our critical care command center uh, up and running so quickly. Uh, you know, one of the decisions that was obviously the most significant for us uh, early on um, was the uh, decision to shut down elective work um, to create capacity in the hospitals uh, in anticipation and looking at what we were seeing uh, in the other um, other jurisdictions who were uh, battling uh, what was going on uh, with respect to COVID. Uh, and also, you know, more several things that, that um, uh, are, are still with us today. Uh, so assessment centers, um, um, suddenly, uh, particularly hospitals, found themselves in the assessment center business. Uh, and we had to get that up and running very, very rapidly. And even today, uh, as we see uh, a, a new surge uh, into our assessment centers um, and the things that we're gonna need to do there. So, uh, you know, all of that, uh, the credit sits with the, the field. Um, amazing people who did uh, amazing things and the list could go on. I know we're, we're gonna talk about a couple of other things and in particular, some of our lessons learned, but just to shout out what, what those folks were able to do. Um, also, a big uh, uh, thanks to the folks in public health, uh, their response, um, and I think one of our key lessons in all of this and continue to work on is uh, how do we uh, continue to weave uh, public health um, uh, with the rest of the healthcare system, uh, something that in some parts of our province was already uh, well, well set up and well established. In other parts, through COVID, we've really um, started to move on that. So there's a number of things. Lab network, uh, we didn't really have a provincial lab network um, back in February and March. Um, and so we had to create that very quickly. Again, those at, at the end of the day, that's the, the, the labs, the PHO labs, the hospital labs doing fantastic work uh, and the, the MLTs and, and all the clerks and everybody pulling together. So, you know, this response, although Helen and I are, are here to talk a little bit about it, at the end of the day, we both recognize this was a field response uh, and an industry response to an unprecedented challenge. Yeah, thank you. I would say, you know, one of the things that uh, 
you know, one of my reflections is the the effort required to uh, secure access to, to PPE and and otherwise equipment. So think, you know, N95 respirators, ventilators, um, and and uh, you know, it's been uh, it was certainly challenging. Uh, and back in you know March and April, it was a sort of you know 24/7 exercise to try and uh, Secure supply, largely uh, based in uh, in China, um, and uh, pursuing hundreds of leads. We have an Ontario Together portal that um, basically takes any good idea and runs it to ground in order to secure supply. And and today we're in a completely different place. Um, and uh, you've seen, you know, domestic supply, whether it's gowns, um, ventilators. Um, we're going to be making N95s in Brockville. Uh, we've just uh, let uh, some tenders to do surgical masks in Ontario. Um, you know, the winner of the first round will have to have manufactured surgical masks available for us uh, in October. So, you know, we're much less reliant on uh, on supplies from from overseas, and the premier was pretty clear about that. So, it's been an interesting partnership, obviously, um, with. Uh, uh, not only with, uh, I guess, you know, the field, uh, the health sector, but also with our colleagues inside government, whether it's a government services or economic development. So, uh, you know, I think that, uh, you know, a lot of mobilization um, inside government uh, to try and, uh, you know, work across uh, to, to solve, uh, solve challenges uh, proposed by COVID. Certainly, um, you know, we mobilized uh, resources and logistical support to support vulnerable populations, you know, across uh, congregate care settings. I would say one of the highlights for me is virtual care um, and certainly, uh, you know, introducing the K codes uh, for, for physicians and others um, uh, in, uh, in the early part of the pandemic, you know, has really changed. And I think it's one of those things that will never go back uh, to, although, you know, we find ourselves now uh, with, you know, a, a deficit of some important uh, preventive care, um, you know, procedures, whether it's pap tests or, uh, or uh, some immunization. So we get have to hit a balance of, of virtual and in-person care. Uh, I think Matt's already talked about uh, the lab system, um, and uh, we certainly went from being uh, challenged to actually the leading ca Canadian jurisdictions in terms of the numbers of tests done uh, per day, um, getting, you know, the COVID test results online, and uh, certainly the app. Um, I do check mine daily, but, uh, you know, I think we're over 2.6 million Canadians are using COVID alert. So, you know, it's just, uh, it's it's been a remarkable effort from from where, where we sit. And of course, you know, certainly the, the part of the system that uh, probably has been the most challenged is our, our public health uh, partners. Um, you know, they've been on the front line of this, you know, from the beginning and uh, providing careful guidance and leadership and certainly been, you know, ambassadors to the public about, you know, how about the virus and, and how to stay safe. So uh, I guess, you know, my final comments here would be about, you know, how engaged um, the Minister of Health has been in, in the response. And there really is, uh, you know, we can't have asked for for better leadership on uh, uh, than, than what Mr. Elliott has provided to us. She's, you know, on call after call uh, with the team. Um, I would say Minister Elliott and, and the Premier drop into the command table on a somewhat regular basis. Uh, we hear from them 
uh, when they're happy, we certainly hear from them uh, when they want us to move a little faster. And so uh, hopefully uh, we're delivering on, uh, on the Premier's commitment. And uh, I think many Ontarians watch uh, the one o'clock presser. Sometimes we actually get to watch it ourselves and see the kinds of questions that are being asked uh, by the media. And certainly, I think before I turn it back to Matt, certainly want to you know, congratulate him and, and the field on the on the regional uh, COVID tables. Um, they were an enormous and continue to be enormous support. Um, they were stood up very quickly, uh, working with hospital community partners and others um, on the response, uh, supporting work with you know vulnerable communities. I think about the work done in southwestern Ontario with the farm workers and and uh, providing you know accommodation and support to them. Yeah, and very quick order. So uh, perhaps Matt, you may want to comment more uh, more directly about that. Uh, great, thanks, Helen. Uh, so for sure, and a, and a thank you again to uh, uh, so first to, to the folks at Ontario Health um, and the teams that, that came together. And I mentioned in the in the get go that uh, having come from being a lead agency of an OHT in Durham. Um, you know, this whole notion of local coordination um, up to the regions uh, and, uh, and then up to the province uh, is, is, was core to the response of COVID. And when we think about, uh, and I said earlier in the conversation that there's, there's the, the discussion on transformation, there's the discussion on COVID, a lot of those things were happening simultaneously. Um, and, you know, my, my overall observation would be that on that is that uh, although structurally we had to hold back on some of the things that we need to do at Ontario Health, and uh, if I get a moment, I'll chat a little bit more about that. Um, but uh, a number of other uh, parts of change emerged, um, and certainly uh, the, the local coordination, um, coordination with public health um, up to the regions was a key part of our response. Um, and, you know, it was a key goal. And I would say that we've probably matured that up uh, very, very quickly, um, far faster than would have way, or do not have that. Um, but uh, it certainly has made a big difference in up through regional. Uh, supply chain distribution is, a, is an easy example of that um, going into this uh, back, you know, uh, whatever what uh, a, a sort of supply chain distribution network out to all players in health and even beyond health um, and through the regions and through the local teams uh, we now have that so that's a wonderful thing that we were able to put together uh, you know again challenging uh, times in terms of where we were trying to go if, if you're all right deputy i know we're going to talk a little bit about some of the lessons learned uh would you prefer to go to lessons learned or yeah, yeah no, i think we should do that and maybe i can make a few comments about ontario health hopefully out of the 500 people online, there might be one or two who are interested. So. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. Oh, no. Let's do lessons first. And then oh, okay. Uh, yeah. So I think, you know, well, for me, you know, it, you know I guess, you know, collaboration uh, is absolutely the collaboration that we were trying to achieve through Ontario Health Teams. And I know that we've actually um, are continuing to do the work and announce, you know, more Ontario Health Teams that that, that really um, kind of put us in, in very good stead. Um, and that uh, certainly um, the idea about working collaboratively across sectors on common problems, um, which is kind of the fundamental idea behind Ontario health teams, um, 
is the right idea and certainly I think has helped us, uh, you know, in, in vivo in, in, the, in the pandemic response and how people stretched, you know, beyond their borders to solve, you know, challenges and being nimble and uh, uh, certainly deploying resources, you know, across sectors to, to where there were, um, were problems. So the willingness and uh, to, to collaborate um, on the ground, I think, you know, is, is a lesson learned and a strength of, of the healthcare system. If I think about, um, you know, where we probably, you know, need to improve in the second response, and I do think we're, we're much more ready um, for what increasingly, you know, looks like a, you know, a sustained uh, increase in numbers. I think, uh, you know, we're going to hit another day over over 300 today. So that gives us me angst. But I think, you know, trying to understand roles and responsibilities, we're certainly in a better place than we were. There are a lot of actors in the response, right, Matt? You know, we had the ministry, Ontario Health, public health units, uh, individual organizations. Uh, for me, you know, in particular, I had a line of sight um, and had to work across with other ministries, whether they were, you know, providing money to municipalities for accommodation um, or, uh, uh, you know, other supports um, that, you know, weren't from the healthcare. We had a critical um, uh, workforce uh, uh, committee, you know, my colleagues in corrections. So I just think that uh, we might have a much clearer sense, you know, about how to lead an effective response. And we've been able to form up into um, incident management structures fairly easily and, you know, have a pretty good idea about, you know, when and how we would use those structures to, to really drive action, uh, both inside government and, and beyond. So those are some of my thoughts. Uh, you know, I think I'll, I'll just add a couple. Um, I, I, um, for sure, echoing the rules, uh, we certainly heard a lot back on that. Um, and how do we uh, sort of quickly make decisions, particularly in areas, you know, when I compare uh, sort of the traditional healthcare response and sectors, I think that that's, um, that's something that uh, we, we sort of know how to mobilize quickly. Um, when we got, uh, the further we got from sort of the, the center of the traditional healthcare system, I think we found more and more challenges uh, of how do we make that decision-making uh, slick uh, and quick and get those pieces moving. How do we empower at the local level? Um, and I think we did a good job on that, but certainly more to be done uh, as we move that forward. Uh, and even the messaging, you know, the uh, uh, both uh, Ontario Health and uh, uh, the Ministry of Health did um, focus groups over the summer on lessons learned, and a lot was around this idea of how do we make sure that our messaging is all consistent? I was in the fray. We were getting a lot of messages out there. I know a lot of uh, organizations were receiving multiple messages a day, and we have to tighten that up as well. So we want to do that for sure. Um, and you know, you already mentioned Helen, the, the congregate setting uh, environment, uh, whether it's long-term care, the corrections, uh, retirement homes. Uh, how do we move very, very rapidly? Um, and uh, you know, one of the things I think was an important learning, a learning for me um, in particular is COVID is not like other diseases. Uh, it, it moves, it seems to move a whole lot faster. Now, well, uh, I, I'm not a doctor in case you haven't heard that. Um, and so, uh, uh, but from a non-doctor perspective, looking at how quickly these, the, the, the disease moves through these settings, uh, again, picking up our ability to, uh, to respond fast uh, is also one of the keys uh, as we get into this next wave. Yep. 
do we want to, uh, Helen, before we move to, I can see there's some questions starting to pop up in the chat before we move to questions, um, uh, a little bit on uh, OH transformation from here, would that be? Yeah, I think, that'd be, I think people are curious um, about the how Ontario Health is sort of becoming itself. So why don't you go ahead? Great, thank you. So, you know, and as I said, there's sort of a, a big overlap here between what we're talking about the transformation agenda uh, for Ontario Health and, and also in terms of our COVID response. Um, and I'm just going to pick apart, some of you may know um, uh, that we just recently uh, released uh, an operating model and organizational chart. Uh, first ones, this is a whole world of firsts for Ontario Health as we try to uh, move forward on things. And I'm just going to highlight a couple of points on it. Um, for this audience, I don't think that these would be uh, shockingly new, but they are important nuances uh, as we think about how we're uh, evolving ourselves. The first is, is uh, you know, this, this real focus um, on um, not just patients, but residents, communities. Uh, we've got various different communities within communities when we say that. Um, and a strong encouragement from our ministry partners uh, to ultimately be focusing on population health um, and the quadruple aim. So we took that very seriously as we think about how do we move it forward. Also, a very important acknowledgement um, that uh, most of what we'll be able to do through Ontario Health is going to be done through our partners. Um, Ontario Health, with only a few exceptions, um, work directly with uh, patients and communities. We do that through our providers and supporting our providers. Um, and so we've drawn this as a hierarchy with our communities at the top, our, our providers, uh, and then Ontario Health supporting that. And again, one of the nuances there and one of the lessons from our, our time through COVID that as you think about who are partners of Ontario Health, particularly on the delivery side, um, we're talking beyond the traditional um, uh, hospitals and primary care. Obviously, those are folks that we need to work with very closely, but we deliberately and specifically call those social services, um, so housing, uh, schools. Uh, we've certainly been in those areas through the lens uh, and through other means, but really making that absolutely clear. Um, and then the last one that I'll, I'll comment on in terms of the change uh, or the, the direction for Ontario Health from here uh, is really about our regions. Um, and there's been different speculation around what's going to happen with the regions. Our regions are our front door. Um, in fact, everything that we do at Ontario Health is to support those regions. It's the regions who are going to support our providers who in turn are the ones who deliver the care and the support um, and the education uh, to our communities. So, just embedding that, um, probably not uh, shockingly new thoughts to, to the folks who are on this call, but really trying to embed that into what we do. We created an org chart. The org chart, I think, is, is less relevant. The, the more relevant is this uh, concept and ethos uh, around our operating model and how we're going to support um, our, our colleagues in the field as they do the wonderful work on the front end. So that's underway now. Um, we've got a fair amount of work to do. Um, you know, as I've said, I think through COVID, uh, it, it uh, certainly has impacted our ability uh, on a structural level in some ways to, to move quickly. Um, culturally, I think Ontario Health is very different than where we were uh, at the beginning of COVID. Um, when I arrived uh, and uh, the couple of weeks there before, uh, before the pandemic sort of took over, um, we were 21 agencies uh, largely trying to learn who each other was. Um, and in a very short time, we had to work together um, to move very quickly and very rapidly uh, to uh, support our communities. And so from that perspective, I think we've made some great change. 
lots more to come on Ontario Health, and I could go on for a while, but we're, we're almost at 9.30, Helen, so uh, I think I'll probably just stop there and hand it back to you for any last words, and then perhaps we can get into oh, the chat. Yeah, my suggestion, I mean, I think let's just get to some questions. There's questions both in the question box as well as in the chat, so maybe if, if you've got them open, maybe we could start looking through uh, some of those and see whether we can answer the first one there on the question and answer is about your suit, so that's good. It is nice to see you dressed up. <laughs> Most of us, so, well, some of us, been, we, we both been in and out of the office, uh, uh, like probably many people. Um, and, uh, you know, since we're not talking well, as many face-to-face -face meetings. Yeah, that's for sure. There's a question on transformation and development of OHTs and LINs. Um, uh, I don't know how if you want to do a quick reflection on sort of OHTs, and I'm happy to just take that a little further. I did comment on it a bit, but we could take that. Yeah, I don't know that we have data, but you know what we hear from the field is where we had Ontario health teams and people were meeting and and working together around a common set of goals or a population that those relationships um, were helpful to the COVID response, um, and that it was an easier kind of jump to sort of see themselves as collectively accountable for the health of a population, whether or not they were the, the specific provider of, you know, for example, long-term care. So that to me, you know, is, is a really, you know, good thing. And, you know, people continue to work in Ontario health teams um, during COVID response and advanced um, their, uh, their proposals into the ministry. So I think, you know, that shows to me that there's, it has traction and, and value. Um, and, uh, you know, hopefully that will continue. I think, you know, uh, it's anecdotal at this point. I'd like to see, you know, did it make a measurable uh, difference, you know, in the, in, the, in the very early days of Ontario health teams uh, during the pandemic? But, you know, my sus my su I suspect, you know, that what I'm hearing is, uh, you know, has some validity, and I guess that's, that's encouraging. And I think, you know, the transformation of Ontario health, you know, hugely important. Uh, to us, um, you know, having, you know, one entity with regional offices, I mean, it, it just, you know, you're moving into command and control kind of structures, right, Matt? And and so being able to go from direction to implementation much more quickly without having 14 boards and, you know, independent actors and, and other things, uh, it I think it made uh, us or helped us get traction on the ground um, a whole lot faster than we would have under the previous construct. Thanks, Helen. I'll make one comment on this, and then I noticed there's a, one of the themes going through is around surgery and getting at the backlog. So maybe I'll make one comment on this, and I'm happy to take the, the surgery, take a shot at the surgery backlog question, um, and we'll uh, yeah. get some other ones in here. Uh, so just just one additional comment I want to make, which is a shout out that. Um, uh, LINs uh, at times have been a four-letter word um, around the healthcare system, and I think that through our COVID experience, uh, it, the response from um, our team in the, in the regions was absolutely phenomenal. Um, these folks, uh, in many instances, uh, put on masks and put on gowns and in and did the work, uh, and so just a, a great response. And I think really, uh, I, I hope, certainly a lesson to me, I hope a lesson to the whole system on how important this regional structure and how effective local and regional, you know, the more that we can push decision-making down into those uh, areas, the better off we're going to be. And again, coming back to 
the operating model concept of you know the center should be supporting moving to the region, not the other way around. So hopefully we'll see that continue. Um, I'll make a quick comment on uh, surgical and procedural backlog. Um, I think that's uh, something that um, is on everybody's minds, and certainly something that the Minister of Health um, has been talking to us uh, a lot about. Um, so short answer is, is that. With the support of the ministry, we are looking at are ramping up as fast as we can uh, to do extra procedures and to try to get at that backlog. Um, uh, right now, uh, things are going well in terms of getting that back up and running uh, and getting our hospitals online and able to do that. And I don't want to not only hospital care, but uh, it is uh, procedures and surgeries. Um, a key part of this, of course, is going to be our community's response uh, to the growing numbers on the COVID side. Um, we really don't want to get into a place where we have to sort of ramp down in the hospitals. Um, my, my colleague Rod here has asked a question about uh, community-based, and that's exactly right. You know, how do we try to um, rely a little less on the hospitals, make sure that they have that opportunity to go after uh, backlog of cases, um, and at the same time provide the kinds of supports that we need to have in the community? Um, a couple of different strategies are, are coming on board on that. Um, I've been taught by my uh, great colleague uh, that Angus did never scoop the, uh, the government, um, so I won't. Um, but there are some other strategies that are in the works um, to see if we can start to uh, spread out some of this demand um, more across uh, at a community level as compared to necessarily ex exclusively at a hospital level. So we are doing that. And one last comment I'll make on that is that we also want to, uh, some of you may have seen there's an excellent uh, paper done um, and was uh, published last week, got some coverage in the news just around how long it's going to take and, and how to go against that. Uh, a number of folks who contributed to that are part of Ontario Health. Um, and so now we're, we're comparing um, sort of our notional approach and what we've talked to the government about in terms of where we can go against that to see, you know, can that become a little bit of a measure for us? Can we beat it, basically? Is there a way that we can uh, figure out how to move that forward even more quickly? So um, definitely as we try to get it all caught up. Yeah, so maybe Matt, the corollary to that is, you know, what do we need to do differently in wave two? And I see some comments and also in the chat about, uh, you know, making better and fuller use of our community capacity, uh, primary care particularly, but obviously home care. And that's, you know, certainly I'm hoping that our, our fall plan will be, you know, ready for public consumption next week. But the, uh, the idea of, uh, you know, engaging with primary care, getting more people to go back to their primary care uh, practitioners, you know, for the, the regular care that they need, as well as uh, even, you know, uh, I go back to the guidance that Public Health Ontario has, has issued about, you know, what kind of swab to use. It can be, used, you know, if, if we're using nasal swabs rather than nasal pharyngeal swabs, we can use a, a more diversified workforce. We can probably do it in more places. Um, so I think all those things um, are different and I think we need to work uh, with uh, our, our primary care and community partners really to, to make sure that you know, they're working you know, uh, as, as an integrated part of the response. Um, I know that uh, there was a really good document on primary care that was uh, released, uh, I believe, uh, uh, you know, it was David Price who, who brought it to the command table, but uh, uh, as sort of the leading of our primary care group uh, on our response, but uh, many of the organizations are in the room, RNAO, OMEI, 
OCFP and others, I think were involved in that sort of uh, trying to provide some guidance to, to primary care um, so they can feel sort of, you know, more comfortable getting back in the office. And certainly we're having discussions with our home care partners as well about stepping up. And I think there's some really good ideas about, you know, more intensive home care than we probably ever offered before. Um, and uh, I think, you know, those are, are great ideas and we're looking, you know, to, to implement those so that we can really provide an equivalent level of care um, in the home and, uh, you know, keep the, the social distance within long-term care facilities um, as well as, uh, and try and, and keep our ALC numbers down. So that, I mean, that's a, that's a large task, but I think we need all those partners to work with us uh, to achieve those goals. Great. Uh, Helen, there's another, so there's a few questions around long-term care and readiness. Now, uh, Richard's not here to comment on that, but um, you want to make a couple of comments on, on that one? And uh, I can also echo on that. Um, also, there's uh, uh, some comments in here around uh, virtual. Um, yep. I'm a little biased on that one. I'd be happy to make some comments on that Okay. One. Uh, and also a little bit on here about, uh, uh, which is uh, a wonderful uh, comment around uh, what are we doing around uh, to stop racial injustice and, and where does that sort of play in what we're trying to do, I think even beyond what we're doing on COVID. So a whole many stuff there, Helen, why don't you take your first pick of those and then I'll, uh, I'll pick a few too. Yeah, so, you know, I know that there's been a, uh, well, we're part of a planning and recovery group and, and long-term care. It's uh, chaired by Tom Stewart and has a long-term care partner. So, you know, a lot of work has been done um, over the summer. Uh, if there's a PPE problem, I see from one of the comments, we should uh, uh, we should uh, follow up on that directly because that should not be a problem. Um, and uh, there is sufficient PPE in the stockpile to be able to supply uh, long-term care homes. So uh, that's a problem. I do think, you know, we do know the pattern. Um, with an uptick in numbers, it doesn't take very long uh, for uh, COVID to show up in a long-term care facility or retirement home or other congregate care settings. Um, you know, it, that those vulnerable people, of course, will be, you know, a big concern. We're trying to develop responses that don't um, necessarily have uh, you know, the first call uh, to the hospital, um, public health has been, uh, you know, actively deployed, uh, providing IPAC um, and other supports. And I think we have a range of options about how to um, isolate uh, residents into what, three groups, those, uh, how to, you know, basically prevent the spread, doing it in a disciplined way. I think the IMS structure that we put into place um, in the spring had uh, allowed us to really kind of get to a much better place pretty quickly in long-term care. Um, I certainly would think that we will uh, want to use a similar kind of structure uh, now just to make sure that there's absolute discipline on the things that should be done are actually done inside long-term care homes and that we're really uh, working collaboratively to, uh, to make sure that we're, we're absolutely doing everything possible um, you know, I know that the health sector will step up again as they have. Uh, the challenge here is not to impact those elective surgeries that uh, need to, or the, the scheduled procedures rather, that really need to be done. And I think there's some innovative ideas about how to um, deploy additional capacity uh, to long-term care in ways that uh, may use the support of, of hospitals, but also others. So, um, 
perhaps you know we can ask Richard to follow up um, on the on the comments, but uh, there's a kind of full court press. The situation in Ottawa is obviously incredibly concerning, and uh, we are uh, working very hard. I think you'll see, you know, there's been lots of action already um, and more to come in the coming days. Thanks, Helen. Maybe just in the last few minutes that we've got here. Uh, so first, uh, I'll just do a quick ad. We're not really ad, but uh, just there's a lot on on home care and community care. I know Helen has commented on that, and myself as well. Uh, and clearly, uh, continued press um, there, um, and we'd like to see uh, through uh, a bunch of different means um, not have the numbers drop like we saw last round. Um, and keep those numbers up in terms of supporting people in their homes. Obviously, that's a, a major strategy for this, and particularly for this type of disease. Um, and so can we avoid that from happening as we did uh, in the first round uh, last time? On virtual care, so many comments and questions around virtual care. So I'll just try to make some sweeping sort of comments on this and, and hopefully catch a bunch of it. Uh, first is I would just say a, a huge acknowledgement to the Ministry of Health um, and to our government for opening up codes and really opening up our opportunity uh, to, to truly uh, embed virtual care into what we're doing. Um, we've seen more pickup. For those of you I didn't go all through, mercifully I did not go through my entire background for, for uh, you at the beginning of the, uh, of the event, but uh, my start was in IT and in virtual care, uh, and this is so near and dear to my heart. And we've accomplished more in the last six or seven months than we did in, in years prior. Um, and I, I'm confident in speaking for uh, for Helen um, that the government is totally supportive. Helen is personally supportive of continuing to grow our virtual care. Um, there's a number of things underway. We saw a lot of that coming in. So uh, there's a lot of specific questions around K codes and all sorts of stuff. And just time won't let me be able to get to all those. But we just recognize that that is a major part of what we're moving forward on. Maybe what we can do, uh, I don't know if this, we've got about two minutes left there, uh, Helen, on uh, the aspects of um, racial injustice, diversity, anti-racism, uh, maybe I'll make a comment and then I'll hand it over to you, Helen. Um, you know, for us at Ontario Health, um, you know, we're, we have this really unique moment in time um, where we are creating a brand new agency. Um, and so backing up for a moment, uh, for those of you who don't know exactly how this has come about, we've got 21 agencies that are all merging into, into ultimately one agency. Um, and when you have 21 merging into one, it means that we're starting from uh, almost from scratch, if you will, on our policies, our processes, uh, how we govern, how we manage. Uh, it's not like I've been part of many mergers where it's one agency moving into another and you sort of augment the existing policies. That's not where we're at. We're actually have uh, this as clean a slate as you're gonna get, um, which is a, a massive opportunity for us. Uh, we have brought in some external help um, we have some agencies who have got a very rich history in, in this, uh, including HQO, Cancer Care Ontario. Uh, many of the LINs have done a tremendous amount of work on it. So this is front and center for us, for our board, um, our, our, our top priority, um, as we think about how do we pull all this together. And again, a, an exciting time for us uh, at Ontario Health because we are at that beginning stage. So um, I'll just leave those comments there and, and Helen, maybe give last word to you um, yeah. on this one. Yes, in the same kind of uh, experience, I think, you know, a couple of things. Obviously, we've started to collect race-based data and looking forward to, I think the data quality is improving, so we'll understand more. And that kind of relates to the data platform issues, questions as well, but really understanding the impact um, of COVID in the healthcare system and 
and making sure that we're uh, we're being attentive to you know the structural dimensions of this and in the in the vulnerability of certain populations. I think one of the things we're doing at home here in the ministry is really paying attention to to culture to you know. Uh, systemic racism, microaggressions in the workplace, uh, looking at uh, any workplace uh, harassment issues that have happened. All organizations have them, but I think it's particularly important that a public organization, whether it's Ontario Health or the Ministry of Health, reflect the population that we serve and that we are a place where uh, diversity thrives is and is uh, you know part of the fabric of, of uh, our organization. And so we have at the Ministry of Health for our employees, you know, a whole plan of active listening, engaging, and co-design um, in order to make sure that opportunities, uh, you know, for uh, Black and racialized um, workers are as plentiful as they are for everybody else. And I think as we pay attention to this at home, uh, we'll probably be better. Um, in, in our interactions and expectations of, of the health sector. So um, we take it pretty seriously here and uh, I'd be happy to share with any organization, you know, kind of how are we dealing with this um, in our workplaces so that, you know, our employees and, uh, and the people that we serve can feel like, uh, you know, we're attentive because uh, we're living in, 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 you know, obviously pretty dramatic times. And I think it's time that we call attention to, you know, uh, that issue in a more, structured way in our workplaces. Great. And, and Matthew back on the, on the screen there. You know, just before you wrap it up, Matt, um, I do just want to comment. So uh, first off, thank you for everybody coming. Um, and I know there was just a ton of questions coming through and we'll uh, try to find other venues to answer mm -hmm. some of them. Very, very helpful. I would also just want to do a quick shout out because there was a comment, a couple comments on there about mental health and addictions. I had a whole section on mental health and addictions in my notes. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and maybe another time, um, maybe another, maybe non-COVID time, uh, happy to come back and talk about our mental health and addictions program um, and certainly where we're going with the Center of Excellence. I know that's of great interest. So I'll, I'll stop there. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, Helen, Matt, thank you so much. It was wonderful to hear from both of you. Um, these are still new venues for Longwoods, our speakers, our attendees. I think it's going well. Um, as mentioned at the start of this morning, we have a great lineup of speakers coming up. Our next event is October 21st. It will be featuring Rick Glazier, who is the uh, Scientific Director for the Institute nice. for Services and Policy Research at the Canadian Institute for Health Research. Uh, registration should be opening up in the next few days. Other than that, uh, I would like to wish everybody a wonderful day and look forward to next time. Take care. Thank you. Thanks very much.